And welcome once again to another edition of A Plain Answer here at Redeemer Broadcasting. I'm Dan Elmendorf. On the Skype line with us today is Dr. Peter Hammond. Uh, Peter, it's an honor to have you with us again. Thank you so much, Dan. Good to be back with Redeemer Broadcasting. You're a little bit hard to get a hold of nowadays because you've been on a recent trip. Can you describe it maybe in one minute? What, what have you been doing? Yes, well, um, I recently had a um, mission to Mpumalanga and to KwaZulu. I was lecturing at Bible College uh, for a week, and then I was ministering in KwaZulu, including at a, a big mission station with huge uh, uh, auditorium and uh, lots of people there um, <laughs> and teacher training college. And the last three weeks, I've been running a Great Commission course, which is an intensive three-week practical missionary program, boots on the ground. We have people coming from far and wide, from Zambia, Zimbabwe, America, and even youngsters cycled uh, 500 miles to come to participate, uh, cycled by bicycle. And so we've been involved in outreaches and PT and mountain climbing and practicals and getting on the streets, Muslim evangelism and um, Hindu evangelism, secular uh, evangelism, seeking to reach atheists and humanists. So it's, it's been very hands-on, lots of science and so on. So it's been super busy. I've been busy from about 6.30 every morning till midnight, many times after midnight. Yesterday, we climbed up and over Table Mountain, which was an eight-hour intensive hike, uh, where we climbed up to an elevation of 3,000 feet above sea level and um, saw the sunset sang hymns on top and came down. So that was the high point of this Great Commission course. <laughs> it tires me out just to hear what you do. <laughs> the Lord must give you a lot of strength. Um, now, um, you just recently sent out a, an email uh, with the title, The French Revolution. And uh, a couple of days ago was uh, July the 14th, would have been uh, in France, uh, Bastille Day. So I uh, can't think of a better time to talk about the reality of what what happened with the French Revolution and its foundations, which are very troubling to me. So can you get us started uh, today, Dr. Peter Hammond? Tell us about the French Revolution. Well, yes, certainly. In fact, it's so super important because the French Revolution has been the inspiration and the model for all socialist and communist revolutions in modern history. And and so many people seem entranced by the deceptive promises of communism. And so it's vital to look again at what communism really is and why so many rose up in resistance against it. Because there's a lot of myth and romantic legend written about what some politicians would like the French Revolution to have been. But the reality was the French Revolution was not, um, as they often try to put it, liberty, equality, fraternity. Well, that wasn't the whole slogan. The actual slogan was Liberty, equality, fraternity, morte. Liberty, equality, fraternity, or death. And the French Revolution was actually a monstrous horror. Over 40,000 people were beheaded, yeah. lost their heads to the guillotine. 40,000. And 300,000 more people were publicly executed by firing squads, drownings, and other methods of mass murder. And ultimately, millions died in the 25 years of revolutionary wars and upheavals that resulted yes. from the French Revolution. So I don't know why so many people glamorize the French Revolution. In fact, when I was busy with uh, the um, uh, my schooling in Rhodesia, uh, we had um, history 
on the French Revolution like it was something positive and democracy came out of it. Well, that's a delusion. Not at all. The French Revolution was actually a very negative thing. It's one of the most influential events of modern history because from 1789 to 1799, just the 10 years, France went from monarchy to republic to the reign of terror to dictatorship. It was one of the most tumultuous times in European history and it's the inspiration for the Bolshevik Revolution and all the other revolutions that have followed, which have caused so much grief to so many people in the 20th century. Well, it's it's shocking, really, that we know so little about the French Revolution, and yet it's held up as a model. Um, I'm very concerned. I see um, a lot of young people um, apparently uh, wanting socialism, and there's also a lot of people that are waking up and it's almost like a um, like a great awakening I suppose where they're saying oh wait a minute uh, the mask is off now we see who these people really are so there's kind of both that you, that you can see but I'm very concerned about those who 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 have this fiction in their minds that socialism slash communism is good um, so what characterized the French Revolution, what are some of the things that they did? Well, um, Lord Acton, in his lectures in the French Revolution, observed, the appalling thing about the French Revolution is not the tumult, but the design. And through all the smoke and fire, we perceive the evidence of calculating organization. The managers remain studiously concealed and masked, but there's no doubt about their presence from the first. And mm. And that's the thing that's so striking because the way it's often presented is, you know, the French Revolution was some spontaneous outbreak of the people on the, from the ground. Not at all. In fact, no revolutions start that way. It was orchestrated. It was coordinated. And the tools of the French Revolution were disinformation, propaganda, lots of propaganda, subversion of language, lots of malice and envy and hatred, jealousy, and that resulted in mass murder. And in foreign military adventurism as a diversion to distract the masses from the failure of government. Because once you've promised the people all these great things, and when the socialists come to power, they're never able to implement it. So they then need to distract the people and then have some scapegoat to blame for why it hasn't worked. So these tools of the French Revolution have been implemented by Vladimir Lenin, Leon Trotsky, Joseph Stalin, Mao Zedong, Fidel Castro, Che Guevara. In the Congo, Patricia Lumumba, Nicolae Ceausescu in Romania, Pol Pot in Cambodia, Ho Chi Minh in Vietnam, and Robert Mugabe in Zimbabwe, uh, who ruined the country I grew up in, which was Rhodesia. So the power mad and the disenchanted continue to sing the praises of the French Revolution because they're attempting to replicate its ideals. And there have been revolutions in Russia, in China, in Cuba, North Korea, Vietnam, Laos, Cambodia, Ethiopia, Mozambique, in the Congo, Zimbabwe, Angola. In each of these places, they've attempted to replicate the revolutionary model of the French Revolution. That's like the gold standard for them. It's the inspirations of Fountainhead. And what you see is enlightenment ideals of humanist philosophers and demonic forces preparing the ground for revolution. And you can see philosophers like Jean-Jacques Rousseau, who spoke about the noble savage, civilization is evil, but, you know, naked savages and cannibals and those with no morals, they, they really are, are the ones <laughs> who are noble. And uh, literally, that, that was his belief. And so Voltaire as well, um, who 
believed he had destroyed the Bible, they prepared the ground for revolution. So Otto Scott, one of the finest historians, I really enjoy Otto Scott's books. In his book, Robespierre, Inside the French Revolution, which is the best book I've ever read in the French Revolution, um, Otto Scott observed French intellectuals and middle and upper class had grown ashamed of their country, ashamed of their history, ashamed of their institutions. Such a phenomenon had never before arisen in any nation or race throughout all the previous history of mankind. A great loosening began as the country slowly came apart from guilt manipulation and rewriting of history and cancel culture effectively. So for the first time since the decadent days of Rome, pornography emerged from the caves and circulated openly in a civilized nation, which is the death knell of mm. civilization, because the basic building block of society is the family. The Catholic Church in France was intellectually gutted. The priests lost their faith along with their congregations. Strange cults appeared, sex rituals, black magic, Satanism. Perversion became not only acceptable, but fashionable. Homosexuals held public balls to which the heterosexuals were invited, and the police guarded their carriages. The air grew thick with plans to restructure and reconstruct all of traditional French society and institutions. So this was the observation of Otto Scott and Robespierre inside the French Revolution. He says, the heirs of the Enlightenment of the late 18th century launched the first revolution in all of history against the ideas of Christianity and Christianity's God. The printing press, the news media, was the spearhead, the font, and the fuel for these discussions. The journals were mixtures of politics and smut. They admired the agitators extravagantly. They never discussed the church without scandal, nor the government without criticism. They relied in these scandal rags on tales of sin in high places and high-handed outrages of the court. No name, however highly placed and illustrious, escaped. Through its journals and pamphlets, the press distorted, coloured, pleaded, argued, lied, reported, misreported the information upon which the balance of the realm depended. And so uh, Otto Scott points out that the news media played a key role in the disenchantment and degeneration which led to the revolutionary ideas finding fertile ground in France. Now, about, what about the uh, financial aspect of the times, the economics uh, that the people in France were going through? Yes, um, in fact, this affects Americans too, because the French Revolution came shortly after the American War of Independence, and the French involvement in the American War of Independence against Great Britain created an enormous debt for France. And so this economic debt, all the different, they had to borrow a lot of money to be able to fight Britain and to punish Britain for having beaten France in the uh, Seven Years' War and having uh, uh, won Canada. And so because France had lost Canada to Britain, they wanted to get back at Britain. And so the American War of Independence was a great opportunity to to um, aid the Americans to see that just like the British had stolen Canada from them. Now they could help the American colonies break free of Britain. And, uh -huh. you know, this would be tit for tat. So this debt that the French incurred, and every war incurs lots of debt, it just added to the financial crisis that had started with France's involvement in the earlier ruinous Seven Years' War against Britain and Prussia. So this colossal debt kept being added to more debt, and the financial crisis propelled the French state into bankruptcy. Now, Louis XVI, King Louis XVI, the much maligned Louis XVI, <laughs> he began his reign actually quite wisely. He dismissed the large number of corrupt and competent ministers that he inherited from the court of his father. 
Louis the Fifteenth had been a pretty bad ruler, and Louis XVI appointed an excellent economist, Anne Robert Jean Turgot, as Controller General. And Turgot proposed drastic but wise solutions to France's crisis. He cancelled tax privileges for the nobles. He abolished industrial monopolies. He removed restrictions on free enterprise. There's all kinds of bold practical measures. And, you know, it would have helped. But um, the nobles pressured Louis XVI to dismiss Turgot uh-huh. because he is infringing on some of their um, privileges. Well, that was pretty short-sighted. That didn't go well for them in the long line. So France got sidelined from a very responsible recovery um, uh, measure. And then there were stopgap measures to stave off economic collapse. But there's no doubt economics played a key role in preparing the ground for the French Revolution. I mean, economic collapse, such as we're seeing in many parts of the world right now, is a direct result of the lockdowns and and the foolish wars and and, uh, sanctions. You know, this prepares the ground for revolution, actually. So the next person appointed to be controlled general was Jacques Necker, who had to manage an unmanageable bankrupt economy. So he bravely tried some short-term measures. He tried to stave off the inevitable economic collapse. But whenever he attempted to move towards free market strategies, which Togo had had championed, the privileged noble and the wealthy middle class forced the king to dismiss him too. Now, (laughs) they were going to lose their heads ultimately from what was coming out of this, but they didn't seem to be very far-sighted. So um, Louis entrusted one hapless man after another with financial crisis, but to no avail. France's international credit rating plummeted. The country was no longer able to secure loans. And so by mid-1788, one year before the French Revolution, the government had become paralyzed and it was obvious they were bankrupt. So the king had to reinstate Necker and call for a meeting of the Estates General to be convened in May 1789. So it was the economic crisis which was caused especially by uh, the wars and the debts incurred that led to the Estates General, which actually brought about uh, the move towards the French Revolution. So the uh, the economics of the time make the pre- people themselves very vulnerable. It did. I mean, if we can't feed our people, if we can't pay our debts, and these are the most basic things, um, when you when you have um, um, massive bankruptcy, it's bad. And, of course, if we ran our personal uh, finances like governments run theirs, we'd be in, probably in jail. Um, uh, it's amazing what governments do. And you just think of the trillions of dollars that, for example, U.S. governments just accumulated and, and the debt, um, I should say, of trillions of dollars. It's just mind-boggling astronomical amounts of, of debt. And how is this going to get paid? And this is just pushing forward the, the, the burden to future generations to pay for irresponsible policies in, in our lifetime. So um, in France, uh, in order to resolved the economic problems, they had to call the Estates General, which hadn't been called for a very, very long time. And so they had, it wasn't like Parliament or Congress the way we know, there were three houses. The first estates, the clergy, Catholic Church, second estates, the nobles, and the third estate were the merchants and the common people. Now, although the third estate had twice as many people as the other houses, each house was historically understood to only have one vote. So a bit of a check and balance between three different houses. Well, King Louis failed to specify how the three houses were to function and they weren't provided with an agenda and they weren't provided with a constitution. And so it was easy to hijack this whole uh, Mm -hmm. situation. And the commoners in the third house were quickly organized as a self-contained national assembly. 
and they were outraged and the um, nobles convinced Louis XVI sent troops to blockade the hall where the assembly planned to meet. And when that happened, well, the third estate just met on a nearby tennis court and vowed to continue in session until it could complete a new constitution. Now, that was outright rebellion against the king. But <laughs> foolishly, King Louis ordered the other two estates, the clergy and nobles, to join the commoners in a new combined assembly, which was uh, when they can smell uh, fear or compromise. If you give them an inch, they'll take a mile. And yeah. this is the way revolutionaries work. So the National Assembly now um, had it, it, it had its own authority that it could literally create its own constitution, agenda, whatever. And uh, sadly, by Louis XVI wanting peace and wanting reconciliation, he actually was so weak that even if good intentioned, that um, the, the idea of Louis XVI being oppressive is false. In fact, uh, revolutions tend to happen when there's some reformer king who's trying uh, to uh, accommodate everyone. For example, just two years earlier, Louis XVI had signed the Edict of Toleration, allowing Protestants and all other Christian religions to operate in France, uh, which was uh, uh, dismissing the Edict of Nantes, which had ended religious freedom in France and led to the exodus of hundreds of thousands of Huguenots uh, back in 1685. So, yeah. in fact, um, Louis XVI was a moderate, reforming type king, even if he's been uh, demonized by the revolutionaries since. But now National Assembly uh, was um, discussing all the latest fads and philosophies and the Marquis de Lafayette, who had achieved fame through his involvement in the American War of Independence, he started to espouse American type of cause of freedom and he rallied the liberals around him. Um, but now you started to have the most fanatical extremists um, uh, mobilizing. And Maximilian Robespierre was like the Vladimir Lenin of the time. He, in fact, he's the model for the uh. Lenins uh, that have come since. Maximilian Robespierre was a strong devotee of the radical philosophers Jean-Jacques Rousseau and Voltaire. And so what Rousseau said is it's necessary to have a cohesive force to organize and coordinate the movements of societies. And so he constantly agitates for equality, but when he means equality, he actually means a reign of terror by a few over everyone else. So right. his idea of equality is not what we would think. And so Maximilian uh, Robespierre started to... Uh, get so, such an atmosphere of fear, and he stirred up revolutionaries uh, in the streets, revolutionary incendiary speeches and incendiary pamphlets, and mobs began to roam the streets of Paris, attacking and murdering royal officials. And this was uh, in order to create a top-down and bottom-up revolution. So the financial house of cards in France collapsed. Capital fled the country. Economic depression resulted. You know, mobs in the streets burning, you know, just think of BLM and all that. Th these are things right. that don't encourage investment. And so a whole series of events combined that suddenly you found food shortages, hunger, agitators panned out across the country. They destroyed grain stores. They terrorized inhabitants. Mobs were hired to stage so-called spontaneous riots in Paris and elsewhere. So the powers of government just collapsed through terror. Everything fell apart with astonishing coordination. There was nothing spontaneous about it. This was planned and coordinated from the beginning. And you know, that's, this is a theory. That, that, is, uh, that really strikes home, this coordinated chaos. And uh, it's my opinion, just me, that we're seeing some coordinated chaos today uh, in the States. I don't know about there in South Africa where you are. 
and it's shocking. We're we're seeing things destroyed right before our very eyes. Yes, yes. No, it, it, there are. I mean, you know, whether you're talking about the uh, George Soros's funding mobs who turn up and there's a whole lot of uh, bricks delivered at that very place, yes. a whole pallet of bricks for them to use, and and they've got all the different tools they need, and they've got the Molotov cocktails. And no, we've seen it in our country too. There's there's coordination here too, and uh, people literally bust in from other states sometimes in order to do riots in places. And this is what happened in in, uh, in the French Revolution, so-called. Um, while the soldiers were ordered onto the streets of Paris as a show of strength, um, the mobs were inspired to grab whatever weapons they couldn't storm the old fortress of the Bastille. So this is the 14th of July, 1789, which normally is the official date for the French Revolution. Uh, because by mobilizing the soldiers in the street at the right time, it just in, in, was incendiary action. And it was, you know, thesis, antithesis, synthesis. You know, uh, you, you do some provocation, you get a reaction, and that enables you to do what you wanted in the first place. So they like to provoke a reaction, and then uh, they will use that as an excuse for their overreaction. And so the French Revolution uh, is often associated with the Bastille, storming the Bastille, freeing all these poor political prisoners. But actually, there were no political prisoners in the Bastille at all at that time. And uh, interestingly enough, the lieutenant governor of the Bastille, M. de Launay, was guaranteed safe conduct if he surrendered the fortress under white flag of truce. And he did so, opened the gates, and then the mob massacred a soldier and the governor and chopped off their heads and carried them around spikes throughout the street. So, huh. so much for honoring the flag of truce and the guarantees of safe conduct. And while they carried the body parts of defenders throughout the streets, all they could find was seven criminals in the Bastille, no political prisoners. And uh, so, you know, the, the story of this glamorous storming of the Bastille, they don't tell, tend to tell you about the lies and the and the violated white flag and uh, the massacring of everyone or decapitating of the, the defenders who had opened the gates uh, in all good um, uh, intentions, uh, hoping this would diffuse the situation. Yes. So when King Louis heard about this, he was so astonished. He said, this is a revolt. Well, the man who gave him the report said, uh, no, sire, it's a revolution. And that was no exaggeration. It was a revolution. And Louis, King Louis the Sixteenth then decided to appease the people, uh, very brave, even if foolish. He came simply dressed, no bodyguards, no attendants, no crown, no royal garments. He spoke at the National Assembly. He ordered the troops to leave Paris so the people should have no reason to fear the king. And uh, he even put the revolutionary colors uh, on his hat, uh, the true color, and uh, he thought that this would turn the people, very brave of him to do so, but the deputies rose to feet cheering and uh, they all spoke to the crowds on the balcony and elected Lafayette as general of the National Guard. And people were thinking, oh, this is great. Uh, this is optimistic for the future, despite the fact he just had his local governor general decapitated and uh, uh, the soldiers go, uh, caring for the Bastille um, uh, carried around on spikes. So, Interestingly enough, Mary Antoinette was apparently the cleverest person in the palace. She felt a lot of foreboding. She began to burn all the private papers. Some nobles started to flee the country. Many settled across the border. But the king seemed to think that he could win over the mob by his charm. So he traveled to Paris without his soldiers to identify the mob. And then the mob demanded he transfer his residence from Versailles 
outside to Paris, into the city where they could control him, of course. And so Paris, like the nation, was divided into the politically active and the passive between a confused and disorganized and abstracted and highly concentrated, organized, intent few. So what you saw in the French Revolution is they promised so much. They promised liberty, equality, fraternity. They promised peace, bread. All, but instead, what they did was they unleashed terror and horror and massacres. And the French Revolution, as, as one of the orchestrators, Madame Roland, was being ushered up to the platform to be guillotined, she said, oh, liberty, liberty, what crimes are committed in thy name? Well, she should know. She had done them herself. Robespierre himself ended up being decapitated on oh. the guillotine that he had consigned so many others to. And by the way, the, the, the group that ran the whole uh, reign of terror was called the Committee for Public Safety, <laughs> Committee of Six, run by Maximilian Robespierre, and the Committee for Public Safety decided who got guillotined that day. Well, the end of the reign of terror was not the end of the French Revolution. It led to the directory and the dictatorship uh, culminating in Napoleon's empire all of Europe got embroiled in ruinous war. And even after the death of Robespierre, the revolution continued to talk about liberty and equality and to fight the Christian faith and to inspire more communes and revolutionaries. But the French Revolution was the prototype, which was followed by Vladimir Lenin and the Russian Revolution and Fidel Castro and the Cuban Revolution, Mao Zedong and the Chinese Revolution, Pol Pot and the Cambodian Revolution, Robert Mugabe and the Zimbabwean Revolution, all these revolutions, whether you're talking about Angola, Mozambique, Ethiopia, they all proved that in every case, yesterday's revolutionaries become tomorrow's tyrants and dictators. And I think 2 Peter 2 verse 19 sums us up the best. While they promise them liberty, they themselves are slaves of corruption. Oh, well put. Well put. Um, Peter, it's always a joy to interview you. One of the reasons I love to do it is because I don't have to know too much, and you, you've got all your... Uh, facts down so straight. Thank you so much. Um, as we go, can you share with the folks how to find you online a web address? Certainly. My personal email is peter at frontline.org.today. That's my email address, peter at frontline.org.today. And our website is www.frontlinemissionsa.org. So it's Frontline Mission and then SA for South Africa. FrontlineMissionSA.org, that's the website, and you'll see audios, videos, articles, even on the French Revolution. I've done uh, some presentations. We've got uh, on sermon audio my lecture on the French Revolution. We've got a PowerPoint and, and video on it too. So if you want to learn more from us, uh, just uh, write to peter at frontline.org.ca or mission at frontline.org.ca and uh, visit www.frontlinemissionsa.org. Well, Peter Hammond has been our guest today with Frontline Fellowship. And Dr. Peter Hammond is a wonderful friend. I haven't met you in person yet, but we've talked a lot. Peter, God bless you, and may the Lord give you increased strength for all the projects you have yet ahead of you. Thank you so very much, Dan. God bless and may God protect our countries at this time when Amen. it's obvious that there's revolutionaries around us who've got sinister plans, and we must not fall for them. Amen to that. Dear listener, please join us next week for another edition of A Plain Answer.